just a couple of things before I go any further. Um, Sue and I just turned to each other and um, I don't like fake or false flattery. So this is not fake or false flattery. But we were trying to think, we have not been to a conference this good since we moved back. No question. This is the most all-embracing event we've been a part of with ministry, words of knowledge, great worship, great testimonies, fun, teaching, outstanding. And I'm not exaggerating. Hands down. And, and don't check where we've been because I don't want to offend anyone else. I, I, don't want, I don't want to offend anyone else. But honestly, this is the most uh, all-embracing, feels like home, just here, outstanding. You know, and I just want to just give a quick run through because I don't think I've ever done this for an event, but it kind of makes me feel like we should. You know, we, we began with the door. We walked through a door, you know? Yeah? <laughs> That's a pretty special way of starting a meeting. We had incredible testimony from you, Tracy. I think one of the most authentic. You, you look for the flying instructor that you were least attracted to and you learned to fly. <laughs> um, and then you ended up marrying him and... Uh, I thought it was outstanding. You know, we had, uh, we had Katie somewhere. You're over there. Are you over there? Yeah, you went, we're over there. But lives in the darkest, most dangerous place on the planet and released hope to us all. I mashed my way through a global context, a biblical context, a church context, and a personal context and got us to repent. Um, dealt with some shame. Changed the older brother. Brilliant message this afternoon, those three questions. Outstanding, honestly outstanding. We've had testimonies of the guy with too many tools in his garage. who's <laughs> about to go on the craziest adventure of his life. But you really remind me of the guy, I know you, you don't remind me, as a, there's something about your spirit that reminds me of Richard who's building the wall. You know, the wall of, of answered prayer, do you know about that? Two of you do. Find out about it. It's one of the most, in, seriously, one of the most incredible projects about to happen in this country. Uh, check out the wall of answer prayer. He's got, he's got land. He's raising money. He's building it alongside one of the busiest stretches of motorway in this country. It will be a wall that has basically bricks in it that you can take your phone up to. You can tune into a brick and you can get a testimony. It's going to be one of the great testimonies of what God is doing. You remind me of that guy and I have no idea what that's got to do or whatever, but you remind me of him. There's something in your spirit that's like his. Um, and uh, we've had outstanding worship. We had a couple of songs that I'd not heard before. That one in three line is genius wherever you've gone. Has he gone home? Um, your blood speaks a better word. Uh, honestly, everything about it, and we've got a, somewhere around an ex-pub landlady who comes up here and gives words of knowledge. Is that right? She used to run a pub? You can see it, can't you? But she's kind of like converted it. I just love it. I honestly, I've loved it. I've loved being here. And there's not an ounce of exaggeration in anything I'm saying, so well done. And, and Sue and I for sure will be telling people, if you think you need to land somewhere in this part of the world, there's a church you need to go to. And uh, so I'm serious about that. So. And it's the first conference in this building as well. So, And I probably could have thrown in a few other things, like the brave man who just shared 
You know, I, I listened to that word of knowledge this morning about somebody being locked up, and I'm sitting there thinking, wow, if that's real, that was really traumatic. And then a guy has the guts to come up here and share it. That's incredible. So, um, and I'm going I'm to read this. Um, well, I'm going to do this as part of my message later, but I think I'm going to read this now out of order because I think it fits better somewhere in this book that I wrote where I should know where everything is. But I don't. I thought I marked that page. That's really weird. Hold on, talk amongst yourselves for a minute. I really thought I marked that off. As parents, we have a unique opportunity to show our kids the value and beauty of home. In our own weakness, we can create a home that is sheltered and stifling, causing our children to flee as soon as they are independent. Or we can, and I think that this is, the, is a great description of this house. Or we can create a home that values authenticity, covering, safety, grace, and unconditional love. This is a home that our children will not only return to, but will be able to find wherever they go in life. We get to create that is what fathers do, and this is what you guys have done. You've created that home, and I, and I can feel it. We get to create it. It's what fathers do. We get to create an address in the hearts of our sons and daughters, both natural and spiritual, where they know they're loved and covered physically, spiritually, and emotionally. We provide them an understanding of shared commitment to a vision, a way of doing life, and a place of safety. We do this through our love by extending grace and offering a covering. We do this by being authentic and casting a net of safety around our children or those we are raising in the kingdom. We do this by being fathers. That's a description of this house and what you've done. And uh, it was handy that I'd already written it out. But um, Just a couple of other quick things and then I'll, and I'll teach. Um, thanks for buying a bunch of my books. If you bought it, if you could, because you got it in a pre-published moment in time, if you, if you like it, I don't know that I want you to do this if you don't like it. No, it's all right. You can be real. But um, if, you, if, you, if you were able to go on Amazon and just put a quick review on there, I'd really appreciate that. Just, uh, just a comment um, about it. That would, be, that would be really great. And then I was this morning, one of the questions which we didn't get around to, um, I've recently launched my website and, you know, being the typical Brit, I, I'm, you know, I'm always a little bit advertising me, but I, I've launched my website with a ton of resources on it, especially leaders, if you're church leaders, there's a school on there called uh, School of Revival, which is really helping leaders, about 50 sessions on there and worksheets. So you could take your team through a school which addresses some of these things like, how do you move from pastoral first to apostolic first? How do you create a culture of empowering? How do you move from church first to kingdom first? Uh, and so there are, and there's a whole bunch of other resources on there. Um, my strategic planning is on there. Um, the gift of administration, mastering kingdom administration, which is again, a, it's, a, it's a course on there that you could take a team through, you could take an office team through. It, it's, it's, it's basically me. I crammed it all into my website to make it available. So that's on paulmanwaring.com. Um, and uh, there's various other ways of staying in touch with what I'm doing um, with Instagram and such like. So that's, uh, that's me if you're interested in checking that out. Let me just um, start, start this session off by, by reading something to you. Um, so I've tried to go from context to repentance, from repentance through shame to maturity and tonight what I want to try and do is go from maturity um, and talk a little bit about being mature growing up 
and, uh, and then have a look at overcoming lies on the way to becoming a father and then end with probably skimming a few of the things that fathers do because that's what we need right now. And, um, you know, there's a couple of places that the Bible um, is very clear about us growing up. Ephesians 4, um, 15, you know, remember I, I said last night, I probably shouldn't have said it quite the way I did, I don't care about the, the five-fold office holders. It's not that I don't care about them, it's just that I, I'm more concerned about the fruit that they produce than locking ourselves into whether we have all the five-fold office holders. I want, I want to see apostolic, prophetic, evangelistic, teacheric, and pastoral fruit. If you weren't here last night, teacheric is a new word for you to learn. Um, and it will one day be in a dictionary if I keep saying it long enough. But <laughs> Ephesians 4.15, it, it lands right in the middle. Well, let's have 14 as well. This is the purpose of, of those five gifts is this, as a result, we are no longer to be children, tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness in deceitful scheming, but speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up. We're to grow up. And uh, I think, uh, I think Mornay, you touched on something and I thought, that's funny, I think you, you and I have a similar view of this. I'm good with inner healing. I'm good if you want to tell me that you can run and jump in daddy's lap. I'm okay. But I don't think we should stop there, personally. And I'll tell you a bit more of that. Because I think we're meant to grow up. And, uh, you know, I, I some about, oh, 18 months ago, I was in a conference. I, I spoke my message. Um, I was just, just finishing off this book, I was written the introduction, I'd written this letter to my dad and uh, to make it the introduction, then went, went on a walk. And I walked around uh, where I was preaching and as I walked around, I, I just had this thought, I, I don't need to jump in daddy's lap. I had a good dad until I was 15 years of age. That's not what I need. I need man to man. I need adult to adult. I, I need the man Jesus to walk alongside me. Jumping in daddy's lap's fine, but actually it feels a little bit weird at my age now. I'm really looking for a, another level of relationship. I'm not pleased if you're Sozo RTF, any of those. Trust me, I love what you do. I just don't think that the goal is to stay there. I think the goal is to grow up, to move on. And, um, and I, I only own one country album, even though I lived in America 15 years. I'm not, I'm not a country album guy. And you should have had this when you ran a pub. You should have had this song when you ran a pub. Yeah, pay attention, please, on the front row. Yeah, please. <laughs> this is... Now, apologies if, if drink... It's not, it's not a problem to me. and I, I don't have a drinking problem. But I'm just about to read out a song that has some words like beer in it. But let's just listen to this. It's fun. If I could have a beer with Jesus in your pub, that would be really cool. Heaven knows I'd sip it nice and slow. I'd try to pick a place that ain't too crowded or gladly go wherever he wants to go. You can bet I'd order up a couple of tall ones, tell the waitress, put them on my tab. I'd be sure to let him do the talking, careful when I get the chance to ask. How do you turn the other cheek? To save a sorry soul like me. Do you hear the prayers I send? What happens when life ends? And when you think you're coming back again? I'd tell everyone, but no one would believe it. 
if I could have a beer with Jesus. If I could have a beer with Jesus, I'd put my whole paycheck in that jukebox, fill it up with nothing but the good stuff, sit somewhere, I couldn't see the clock. Ask him how you turn the other cheek to save a sorry soul like me. And it goes on, and you can find the YouTube. Oh, let me read the rest of it, because it's kind of fun. Let me just, I, I couldn't stop there, really, could I? Um, he, hey, he can probably only stay for just a couple of rounds, but I hope and pray he's staying till we shut the whole place down. Ask him how you turn the other cheek to save a sorry soul like me. What's on the other side? Is mum and daddy all right? And if it ain't no trouble, tell them I said hi. I'd tell everyone, but no one could believe it. If I could have a beer with Jesus, I'd tell everyone, but no one could believe it. It's just a picture. I know it's just a picture, but I think it's somewhere that we need to have in our thinking. I never had a man-to-man, adult-to-adult talk with my dad. I never had that. I think one of the great privileges of my life these days is I get to have that with the 32 and the 37-year-old sons. And, uh, and I think there's a place we need to get to. And it's, it's to set our sights on maturity. And that just somehow sums up that sense of maturity. Imagine sitting and having a beer with Jesus. What would you talk to him about? What would you ask him? How would you communicate with him? And I'm not going to tell you I've got there, but I feel as though I'm closer you see, we teach, we teach Jesus, and, and, and yet I think we miss something in, in this context. My friend Steve Witt was at the same conference, and, and I didn't know he was going to do this, but he stood up and uh, the next day, and he started talking. He said, I want to talk to you about the Jesus we don't know. I, I want to talk to you about the man, Jesus. It, you know, we have this picture of Jesus. He worked in a carpentry shop, and he made nice, neat tidy little spindle chairs and nice neat little tables he probably didn't we imagine a workshop that's absolutely perfect and swept Jesus was a man Jesus would have walked into the forest and cut down the trees he would have hauled them back to a carpentry shop he, he lived in an area where they were more likely as carpenters to, to make some of the framework for houses or the yoke for oxen or make boats and stuff like that. He was a man. He was a man's man. And he would have, he, he, he lived, of course, in days where there wasn't electricity and, and your day was determined by when the sun rose and when the sun set. And when, it, and when it wasn't daylight, you were inside and you were probably sitting around a rough old table that he made and you were sitting eating flatbread and, and, and olives and olive oil and drinking a glass of wine that who knows he might have been practicing on before you got there. And it all began as water, whatever, who knows? But you'd have been sitting around a table with a man until late into the night, dipping flatbread into olive oil and eating olives and, and, and drinking wine and maybe having some deep fried locusts or whatever it was that was going on. I want to know that Jesus. You see, it's that Jesus that said, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. It's that Jesus. And I believe that it's time for us to grow up, to mature, to, to set our sights on becoming that kind of a man or a woman that can walk with the man Jesus down the street in a real world. 
and face the stuff that is in this world. And, and I believe that that is a, a sincere call on our lives because the Bible talks about that. Hebrews talks about, you've gone back to drinking milk. That's this picture. It's like we shouldn't be thinking about drinking milk. We should be thinking about sitting around the table with the man Jesus. And, and you know, it's the only way that we're going to raise sons and daughters who become men and women, who become fathers and mothers, who raise sons and daughters it's the only way. We've got to raise a generation who can walk out into this world and hold their own and stand against the junk and the garbage that is being thrown at us and not go running back home and jumping in daddy's lap and going, wah, wah, wah. Like, we've got to grow up. And don't get me wrong, you know where I'm coming from, don't you? You can do that. If you need to do that, if that's where you are on your journey, sort that out. But don't keep going back there. And I honestly do feel as though these days one of the greatest privileges of my life is, is to have the adult man-to-man relationship with my boys. And um, I'm, I'm sure I'm not perfect at it. I'm absolutely certain of that. But I know that that's one of the great privileges of my life that I missed out on. And, and I'm not going to allow my boys to miss out on that from me and the crazy thing now is, you know, I'm a granddad who the other day sat and watched Lord of the Rings with my 10-year-old grandson. And I'm sitting there thinking, my son was barely two years older than him when that first came out. And I watched that with him. And that's both scary and wonderful. So I just want to encourage you. I believe it's time that we grew up, that we started getting a different view of this man, Jesus. You know, and, uh, you know, I even think, you know, you take that man who's carrying trees back from the forest, and they didn't have electrical equipment in those days. A carpenter was, was cutting that wood down and splitting logs and making planks and planing them off and working and sweating. He was a man. You, you put that image in the room when a prostitute comes and washes his feet with her hair. It, the image changes. We've, we've sanitized Jesus and it's caused us to not think that we can grow up and be real men and real women that raise up real sons and daughters who are able to get out there into this world. And I just wanted to begin there with this, this call, this challenge. It, it's time to grow up. It's the purpose of Ephesians chapter 4. It's the purpose of the gifts of Christ to equip the saints for the work of ministry until we all attain to the knowledge of the Son of God, until we all grow up to be like him. And he was not a wimp. He was a man. And I want to encourage you to, to practice that kind of conversation with him. I talked a little bit about it this morning. I, I laid on my bed in 2005 and had a conversation, imaginary conversation with my dad that unlocked something inside of me. And you know, less than two years ago, I wrote another letter to him. It's the introduction to my book. It was just an update. Hey, this is me. This is how I'm doing. You know, I, I, you know, I go, hey, I'm writing another book. Yeah, I've written three books. Pretty much a miracle. I'm sure he would have thought that. But just telling that... That real life story, let's, let's start to get there. And, and of course, he's always going to be Lord and King and, and Savior. But he's a real man. 
who held his own in a real world and we need to become that. And so I, it, the first thing I just wanted to say tonight is it's time to grow up. And if having a beer with Jesus works for you in your imagery, I think it's a, a pretty decent place to kind of imagine. And if it doesn't, find another way of doing it. And, and somewhere in that, I also just want to, I just want to encourage every one of us, especially, especially the dads, but for all of us, you know, is to... You know, and I know, you know, not everybody has, has the same privileges, but you know, to to do the best we can to actually spend time with our adult kids and to really enjoy our adult kids. Now, maybe you already do that. Maybe that's natural to you, and it's just that that was my deficit, so I enjoy it more. But that's sometimes where lessons come from. And, uh, you know, some of the things that I or we get to do with our adult kids are, are some of the greatest pleasures of my life. So I just dump that on you, if that's okay. Is everyone all right? And then I want us to, I want to step in, into this, and this, is, this probably doesn't feel like the most polished, all nicely flowing together, but we've got to grow up, Okay. And then, in my evangelist journey into being in relationship with evangelists, I, I had the prophetic word in 2012 that I would preach in stadiums. And then later that year, I went to Reinhard Bonnke's school. I came back from Reinhard Bonnke's school and I did a few things. And then in 2014, Ben Fitzgerald came back from Nuremberg having had a vision of God raising up a youth, a youth army on the land where Hitler was raising up his youth army. And Ben Fitzgerald said to me, you're coming with me, Paul, to Nuremberg. And uh, I mean, to say the least, I mean, I was honored, but it was still like, really, is that what I'm going to do? And then what happened was that I, uh, I was at Chris Vallotton's house and uh, we were sitting in the, in the back. It's a garden, really. He calls it a yard, but it's definitely a garden. Because um, Americans call these yards. Like, you have no concrete on the ground. It's garden, Chris, you know? So we're sitting at a table. There's room for eight people to sit at this table. And uh, because it's hot, it's California. I, and I had glasses on that changed colors. And I was also wearing a baseball cap, which apparently makes me look a little intimidating. Apparently. <laughs> and uh, so we were sitting at this table... And a man came and sat at the table and he sat down opposite me with his wife and I knew his reputation. I knew that this man was a miracle worker who had an international healing ministry. And he sat down and I did what I do. I asked questions. Honestly, I feel as though I asked questions the same as I ask everyone else. And I said things like this, what makes your healing ministry different to someone else's? Because you've got this International Association of Healing Ministries. Why is that different from Cal Pierce's? Cal Pierce who does healing rooms. Or Randy Clark who accredits spiritual healers. Or me with a medical healing sort of interest. What makes yours different? I just ask questions. I thought very little more of it. I'd met this man and met his wife. And I left it there. And it was all fine. What I didn't know was that they went back to their hotel that night. And they were like, who's that guy? What sort of questions was he asking? was their conversation and uh, the husband said to his wife I don't know exactly who he is but he's my strategist for Europe shall be saved and I want him back in Europe I didn't know that conversation 
we got to Sunday. Sunday, we were, it was an unusual Sunday night at Bethel. They're all pretty unusual, probably, to most people, but it was an unusual, unusual Sunday night. Bill was in a mischievous mood and was praying for people. He prayed for me, and I, probably the only time I can remember it, I went down face forwards. And uh, I went down, and the person in front of me went down the same way, and I never touched them. I felt somebody on, touch my back. I have no idea who it was. And I heard the words, give him Europe. I then climbed over the front row and I sat next to the man that had been at the meal table a couple of days before. I prayed for him and uh, his wife began to cry. It's always a good sign. <laughs> you know you're praying the prayer of a wife. And then he put his arm around me and I put my arm around him. He is a blonde, very good-looking Swiss man with the brightest white teeth and smile you ever did see. And together we sat there for what seemed like an eternity for a Brit to have my arm around this good-looking Swiss man and him with his arm around me and his head on my shoulder. At the end of that, he looked up at me and he said, Paul, I've been prayed for by many people in my life, many evangelists in my life, but most of them have prayed for me like a brother and have somehow in their prayer told me how to do my ministry differently. But tonight, a father of evangelists prayed for me. That man's name is Jean-Luc Traxel. The only reason I give you his name is because the first time I shared this story, his wife wrote to me and said, why didn't you tell my husband's name? Are you ashamed of him? I said, no, I just didn't want a name drop. She said, whenever you tell that story, you are to tell his name. Because he is as proud to be related to you as you are to him. I went home that night from that moment. I didn't, still didn't know the story. That somehow they'd been maybe a little bit offended by the way I asked questions. I didn't know that bit. I didn't know that Jean-Luc had said, that man's my strategist. But I went home that night and I knew that something had changed inside of me. Because what had changed inside of me that night was a lie. A lie got broken that night on that second row. And this is the lie. And I'm, I'm going to go through three or four lies tonight that I want to deal with. But this is the lie that broke that night. Jean-Luc Traxel is a miracle-working healing evangelist. He tells at least two testimonies that blow my mind. And I knew that. But I prayed for him. I sat through that uncomfortable, awkward 10 minutes of hugging him. And then he said, tonight I was prayed for by a father of evangelists. I do not even come remotely close to his gift or his skill or his ability. But when I got home that night, I realized something. I realized that I was believing a lie and I believe it's a lie that many people in the church believe. See, here's the reality. Um, we have two sons. We are incredibly proud of our two sons. One is more into sport and video and cameras, and the other is a musician, our oldest, James. He's a musician. He, he plays the saxophone, the clarinet, the piano, and a whole load of other instruments. He puts 96 kids on a stage in his school to perform Les Mis to a standard that is breathtaking. And I am biased, but I'm not exaggerating. It's breathtaking. I'm his dad. Now, my wife is musical. I'm not. My son can play a dozen instruments he can recognize, 
you know, music that I didn't even know existed. I play CDs. <laughs> but who does he want on the front row of a production by him apart from his wife and his mother? He wants his dad. You see, I'm his father. I encourage him. I cheer him on and occasionally buy an instrument. So why do I believe the lie that in the spiritual that I can't father you if I'm not better than you at what you do? And that's a lie. And where we are heading, you see a truly apostolic move of God. And remember, you're all apostolic. You were converted last night, I hope. I didn't say you're apostles. Please don't go back to your churches and tell your pastor. Paul Manwaring said, I'm an apostle. Even if your name works like mine, has a ring to it. I'm not claiming to be one. I don't want you to do that, but I do want you to know you're apostolic. You see, if we're truly apostolic and we truly become kingdom-minded, then we are going to start having people in our churches that are bigger than us in every sphere of influence, which is going to mean that we are going to have to lead them and father them. Who knows? You may one day have a prime minister of this country who's in this church. You can't be intimidated and believe you can't father them because you're not better than them at understanding politics and government. And they don't need you to be better than them at what they do. They need you to believe in them, to encourage them, to cheer them on. And that night a lie broke in me. And that is a lie that stops us from stepping from maturity into being fathers and mothers. See, why would we believe? that I have to be better than you. I now find myself, and in actual fact, that first ever Awakening Europe in Nuremberg. On the Sunday night, it's a photograph of me on my knees next to Jean-Luc Truxell on his knees, next to Todd White on his knees, next to Ben Fitzgerald on his knees, on a stage in front of 26,000 people. And all four of us had been to Reinhard Bonnke's School of Evangelism. Reinhardt watched it. And I know was somewhat proud that the students of his school were at that event. My qualification to be there was not because I was an evangelist. It was because I was willing to follow a prophetic word. I was willing to go to a school. Sometimes your willingness to do what you're not qualified to do is what qualifies you. Now, please don't apply that to brain surgery. It doesn't work there. <laughs> but it works in the spiritual and I found myself on a journey. The first Awakening Europe, I had my feet washed on a stage. And I was introduced as a father in Europe. The second Awakening Europe, I was introduced as a father in a movement. And the third Awakening Europe, I was introduced as a father of evangelists. I've been called many things in my life. Many things. Trust me, if you work in prison, you've been given a lot of titles. <laughs> the prisoners have lots of things to call you. Of course, I've been called a nurse, which was confusing for many people. I've been called prison governor, deputy governor. I get introduced to stages like this as pastor and other titles. But I don't know anything that touches me outside of the names that my family give me other than a father of evangelists. And I'm not a father of evangelists because I'm better than them. But without that lie breaking, I wouldn't have got there. 
And there are going to be people, I'm speak for a moment to everyone in here who leads a church or a ministry. In these coming days, there are going to be people who come into your ministry who need you to father them. But you are not better than them at what they do. And you need to kill the lie. You need to break that lie. I, Sue and I, these days, we go to Kerith. The reason we go there is because the way that Simon treated our son. That's probably the number one reason why we go to that church. Now, now we love being there. It's home. It's family. We love Simon, Katrina. We have a relationship with them. You see, it was his ability to take a director of music and find a place for him and to cheer him on and to believe in him. My son James went to see him a few years ago. He was having a difficult time. He sat down with Simon and Simon said to him, look, I, you know, I want you in my church, but you don't have to be in every meeting to prove that you're committed to this church. You don't have to do that. You're a busy director of music in a school. And the first thing he did was he bought a ticket to go to James's next event to cheer him on. And that's what we need. That's what we need is leaders who, who know how to cheer people on. Lie number one, is there anyone that that is a lie that resonates with you? I want to invite you to stand. If you've had that lie that says, I can't father people because I'm not better than you at what you do, I want to invite you to stand. Because I believe that God is going to bring people into your churches, your schools of ministry who need you. He needs you to be secure in your identity as sons, as daughters, and mature sons and daughters, as fathers and mothers who can get hold of successful businessmen and teachers and government leaders and artists and movie stars and filmmakers and can get behind them and cheer them on and for them to know that you love them, believe in them and you cheer them on and it's not about being better than them. So I say right now, break that lie. Break that lie right now in the name of Jesus that in the same way as we know that as our kids exceed our ability, they are our kids and they want us on the front row of their performances. And ask Father right now, break that lie and release the fathers right now and the mothers in this room in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I want to touch on another one. You see, another lie is that I, I, can't, I can't reveal the Father to you because I'm a woman. I know this is, I tried to touch on it last night. The language, it's so difficult, honestly, to get the language exactly right. Here's one of the things that I believe that has happened. A lot of women have been oppressed in the church and it's typically been a religious spirit. And the biggest mistake is that we attack the religious spirit with the political spirit of feminism outside of the church. See, neither of them work. There's only one answer, kingdom. The answer is the spirit of the kingdom. And I read the Bible. It says in Genesis 1:26, let us make man in our image, male and female, he created them. And you see, ladies, I, I want you to know that you can be the encouragers, the revealers of the Father, to the people that come into the church, into your lives, into ministry. And for you to get alongside successful men and women and cheer them on and to believe in them. 
please don't ever let your gender get in the way of revealing the Father. Break that lie. I'm not asking you to behave like men. It's one of the biggest mistakes, I think, even in the marketplace, is that, is that this push for women to behave like men, we need you to lead as women. Now, I'll risk this. I believe we need women to lead as women. I really do. And there are three things that I notice when women lead like women. Here's what I notice. They, they are more concerned than men typically about the next generation. They think next generation, it's, it's, it's part of their language. Well, that makes sense. They carried the next generation for nine months. It's something that, that you have in who you are, in your makeup, that is thinking, what's the effect of what we're doing today on the next generation? What's a problem of, of revival? We failed to pass it to the next generation. Ladies, we need you to lead as women. Something else that you typically have, and I'm not trying to stereotype you, but your ability to take care of the home means that you think strategically. You think, I, I do strategic planning, and I'll say to teams, if you don't bring your women along, you have a big gap. A big gap. Because women typically think more strategically. They, they put things together in a strategic plan. They really do. And we've needed that. It's one of the reasons why revival doesn't pass from one generation to the next. Because our strategy has been limited. Women also typically think more about the effect of something on the whole community. Of course they do. They're taking care of two, four, six, eight, ten kids in a home. They're thinking what we do for Johnny, how does that affect the other kids? You think that way. Us guys don't think that way. And women typically think about sustainability much more than men think about sustainability. I can prove by those points that we need you to lead in such a way that you are mothers in the body of Christ who revealed the Father because revival being passed to the next generation depends on you beat, killing that lie that says that you can't lead, that you can't father I want you to break that lie and don't try and lead as men, please. Lead as women. Lead with all of your beauty. Lead with all of your interest in the next generation. Lead with all of your concern for the whole community. Lead with that strategic mind and lead believing for sustainability. And I believe they are keys. And it's not about a theology of women in leadership. It's about you being made in the image of God and what you carry in revealing the Father. I'll take a drink at that moment. It's a lie that prevents you from stepping into a place of leading an environment I mean, let's face it, what if the next Prime Minister was coming to this church and the Prime Minister's a woman? They're going to need somebody who knows how to really cheer on a woman leader. Think about it. How are we doing? I can't be a father because I've never had children. Earthly physical deficits do not determine our ability as fathers and mothers. Let me quickly tell you this. Jesus was a son who had no earthly father. 
And he's a father who had no earthly kids. But he'll be known for all eternity as eternal father and son of David. It's the truth. It's in the Bible. You see, we, we let our deficits get in the way, but those deficits don't get in the way for Jesus. Not only that, Jesus is the son, Jesus is the son of David, so he's saying, I'm the son of an adulterous murderer. So don't let your deficits get in the way. It's, it's a lie and it needs to be broken. I'm going to group all these together to minister in a moment. I can't be a father because I've had no earthly children. Here's the thing. I don't have daughters in my life in the natural. But I tell you this, I have more spiritual daughters than I have spiritual sons. And incidentally, one of the questions this morning was about principles. I don't think these are top three principles, but they're pretty high up. Because once we start stepping into being fathers, uh, in, in, you know, spiritual fathers, one of, the, one of the things we have to do is we have to be careful. Uh, my spiritual sons know my sons. The ones that I specifically say, you are a son to me, and I don't have a huge number of them deliberately, but those ones know my sons. My two closest ones have you know, been to dinner with my, my kids. That's really important to me. I don't want my boys to ever think that they are second to my spiritual sons. My spiritual daughters, if, if somebody starts to become a spiritual daughter to me, I will say, you're going to need to be a daughter to my wife as well as me. I'm not going to have spiritual daughters that aren't spiritual daughters to my wife as well. See, we've got to kill some of these lies. So I have, I have, I have spiritual daughters. I've had to learn what that looks like because they're a complete new breed to me. They've never lived in my home. I've never raised them. So I've been on a journey of that and it's been a fun journey and I've walked one down the aisle and I've done the marriage service of a, of a couple of them and things like that. Don't, please don't let your natural deficits get in the way. And there's a fun story of me taking a 13-year-old shopping in Seattle. 13-year-old daughter shopping in I put, when the day was over, I jotted down the things I learned from shopping with a 13-year-old daughter. Don't bother taking the camera, because I'm a photographer. I never took any photos of Seattle that day. Um, if in doubt, buy both. <laughs> if dressed well, but that was because she couldn't choose between two handbags. Just buy both. You girls, you can't choose, you need two. If dressed well, a father and daughter will always be sent to the designer section of the store. Those are my three lessons that day. <laughs> I haven't got my own life together yet. That's a lie which we use to postpone our contribution to others. It is an absolute lie. And honestly, it's probably out of the places where we've been broken and recognize our deficits that we will be the greatest gift to sons and daughters around us. I don't have a natural father as a role model. I didn't have a natural father after I was 15 years of age. We, we, need, to, we need to get that out of the way. That there's, there's so much there that we can learn, that there are books that we can learn from. Please don't let that get in the way. Again, it will be out of your deficits that you will be able to release the most. 
Or what about this? I will only disappoint those I'm fathering. I always say to people, if you want me to be a spiritual father, then you're going to have some places where you might test some things out. I may let you down. You may try and text me several times before I answer. You, you might call me and I don't answer. You might say, is there any chance we could meet for a coffee? You've got to be secure in your identity because actually being a spiritual son or daughter starts in the heart. That's the place it starts. So, so as a spiritual father, I might talk in an environment like this about being a spiritual father, but I'm not going to have coffee with all of you, but, but you're able to, as it were, position your hearts to receive from me. And once you become a healthy son or daughter, you can receive from anyone that walks up here or anyone in this room. And it's one of the keys so the more secure we are, the more mature we are, the more we can receive as well. And of course, my journey of sonship, even though I'm a father, I'm still a son. And my journey continues of learning to receive from everyone. If any of those lies resonate with you, I want to invite you to stand. Are any of those things that have got in the way, I just want to break them. I want you to end them. I want you to realize that no earthly deficit can get in the way of you being a father or a mother to the next generation. That because you didn't have a role model in your home does not get in the way of it. Don't let these things get in the way. I know that I'm an encouragement to spiritual daughters in, in my absolute ignorance of raising them in the natural. In fact, my relational deficits are pretty, are pretty extensive, actually. You know, my dad died when I was young. Sue's dad died. I never knew either. Uh, I never knew my, my dad's father. Uh, most of the women around me have not had fathers that are alive. I have a sister and no brothers. I have sons and no daughters. I have a whole lot of deficits. Truth is, those deficits can become your greatest places of strength. Because out of that, you have an awareness. Sue and I, we made a decision. We didn't have fathers as we grew up in our teens. We didn't have fathers in the home or access to fathers when we raised our kids. So we made a decision. We are going to be to our kids what we didn't have. We, my wife doubles it. She's like, if we didn't have fathers around to babysit or pay extra bills, we're going to double it. Trust me, she's good at that. She makes sure... You know, we didn't have parents that were able to buy the shoes that seemed to be really expensive at the end of the school holidays. She's always buying the kids, their, the grandkids, their shoes. It's intentional. It's like, let's be what we didn't have. It's the way of breaking that lie. So, Father, I'm asking that everyone standing, let's break this lie. And out of this room, let's raise up the mothers and fathers who can raise a generation of sons and daughters and that we'll raise them out, out of the strength that you're giving us right now thank you father that you're breaking lies in this room and raising up a generation a generation of mums and dads who are mature but who never stop growing on their own journey of sonship and daughtership in Jesus name amen you may be seated the scary thing now is but if you bought my book, you can go through it. I think I have 28 things that fathers do. And a lot of them are very practical. 
And as I've already said, probably enough times for you to get it, mothers do them too. It re you really do. But there's, uh, this was the journey that began for me on a plane flying home from Brazil. And I just started thinking, what do fathers do? Excuse me if I'll just use the term fathers. I think I've, hopefully, I've got you believing that I'm talking about both, but I'm a guy, I'm a father. So I wrote it from that place. Fathers create home. And uh, this is so important. And home is an address in our hearts. It's a place of shared affection, of love, of covering, of belief, and we create home. We create home in the natural, but once we put home in the hearts of our sons and daughters, they can find it anywhere they go. Fathers create home. Uh, what I read out earlier on, fathers model authenticity. We need this today more than ever before. It's one of the most powerful things that we can give to our kids in, in the church and in our homes to model authenticity. Fake and counterfeit is everywhere. But authenticity is an important aspect of creating at home. Without it, families and churches will raise orphans rather than sons and daughters. Authenticity breeds trust. And with trust, we can build together. We can share a vision, a key aspect of home. Without trust, we build our own kingdoms instead of enabling others to build together with us. We've already had Duncan reading out Ruth Graham's story, which in my book, comes under Father's love unconditionally. My wife taught me three lessons on this. I wrote them down in here. They're three simple lessons. She taught me this. They'll always be my sons. I will always love them. They need to know that they are loved by me. It's about as simple as it gets, but it's really, really important. It's the gift of loving unconditionally. And there are many scenarios that we may face these days, many challenges of our kids coming home and maybe thinking or believing something different to us. It must never change the love that we provide. Fathers provide covering. I love to describe covering in this way because it's, it's one of those subjects, it's not really a biblical subject, but it gets a lot of airtime in the church. And this is the way that I describe covering. See, I don't know how you got on yesterday in the rain. There were some umbrellas out there. And, uh, but here's my experience of life. If I walk down the road with somebody else holding the umbrella for me, it is very likely that my head will get hit along the way. <laughs> and when it's like this, you don't want it to be hit too often. I won't see where I'm going because the umbrella will obscure my view. And I'll probably still get rained on. That's a pretty good picture of the kind of covering that many of us have experienced in life. But you see, fathers provide covering by giving an umbrella to somebody to put up. Actually, I believe that that covering can be many fathers. It's what Paul said. You have many teachers, but not many fathers. So I've been given an umbrella in my life, and I can choose to put it up. And when I walk with the umbrella that I hold above my head, I don't hit my head with it. I can see where I'm going and I don't get rained on. 
You see, fathers provide covering. We give our sons and daughters permission to create that covering for themselves. I can access some covering from Bill Johnson. I can access some covering from Randy Clark. I can access covering from people I knew in the past, people like Clive Calver and others like that, things that they taught me, and I can hold up an umbrella. Fathers provide covering. Fathers provide safety. They provide a place of safety. The the strongest lesson I learned on this was when I spent some time with a young man in Brazil who got shot in his car and so his dad bought armoured cars for all his kids. It's the most beautiful illustration. It's extreme, I know. But it just said something to me. That's what fathers do. Fathers want their, their sons and their daughters to be safe. And it's really important, and I can feel it in this house. You've created a place of great safety. I'm skimming these because you can read them, and I probably won't get through all of them. Fathers give grace for the journey. You see, the thing about us is we've traveled the journey a little bit ahead. I remember I, I could almost take you to where I was standing. I joined the prison service, and I was sent to Feldham Young Offender Institution as an officer, which I would return to later in my career as the deputy governor. Not an easy one because the people I work with as peer officers, I'm suddenly the deputy governor. But when I was first there, I remember, I remember asking somebody for some help and they said, you've got to learn the same way as I do, the hard way, and I'm not going to help you. And that stuck in me. And I've been around a lot of people like that in life. Fathers and mothers don't do that. We've got a little bit further along the journey. And as we're further along the journey, we're able to show the way. I can remember when I was in charge of a prison, I had three inspections at the same time. I had the European Committee for the Prevention of Torture. I guess we don't have to suffer from that anymore, which is probably good news. I had the audit team and I had Her Majesty's Chief Inspector of Prisons all in the same two weeks. My son remembers that. And a little while ago, when he's in school with an Ofsted inspection, I'm able to say, I know how you feel, son. I know what that feels like. I've traveled that journey before. We get to give grace for the journey. We get to say, the phrase that's most often used is, you know, let my ceiling become your floor, whichever way around it is, but you know that one. My floor become your ceiling, whichever way around. It works both ways in my head sometimes, but anyway... We give grace for the journey. Fathers give identity. I love that we get to give identity. You know, there's a lady here, she was telling me she was was named by an atheist father and her name means devoted to God and she loves the Lord. That's because her atheist father gave her a name that every day of her life said, you're devoted to God. Because we give identity. When we give names, it's for real. What we call our children is really, really important. We get to give identity. Fathers, one of the ones that I love, fathers help their children discover what they love. Oh, how important this is. The two young ladies, you're somewhere over there, you're asking me about how do you create an environment that that raises up artists. It's that. We, We should create an environment in the church that helps our sons and daughters, helps the people in our church and in our families discover what they love. I remember when little Aidan was about 18 months old, our grandson, first grandson, he said, blue and green, my favorite colors. I wanted to say, who told you? 
I wanted, I, I, you know, it was something inside of me. It's like, how can you have worked that out? No, it was because they were raised in an environment where they were given permission. Discover what you love. It's one of the keys. It's one of the keys of freedom and empowering. And we need to create an environment where our sons and daughters can discover what they love. And then we empower them and release them and send them out to take that piece of the heart of God that he put inside of them and change the world with it. I'm just going to quickly give you the headlines of the rest of these. They're, they're a list, but this is where we're getting to. We're getting to the place where we become fathers and mothers, and fathers do things. Fathers believe in their children. They celebrate victories and establish memorials. We did this in America. We, we got... We got our first visa, we bought something. We got our next visa, we bought something. We got our green card, we bought something. It was just to say, look what God did. He, he brought us through this. My son said, my youngest son, he, he said, when we moved back, he said, the thing that most affected me was not, as it were, saying goodbye and missing you. It was the, it was the end of us traveling that particular part of the journey together. This journey we traveled for 15 years of visas and, and green cards and, and jobs and houses and seeing God provide. And, and, and I know that that was a huge part of, of his life and always will be because we celebrated those victories, established memorials. Here's a fun one. I'll just quickly do this and then I really will just give the list of the rest. Fathers raise favorites. Deep intake of breath. This is really important. This is probably more important than anything. When I first got to Bethel and people were saying, I'm God's favorite, I was a little bit like, oh, yuck. I didn't know what to do with it. But you see, it's because we mixed favorites with favoritism. Here's how you raise favorites. You treat people according to their gifts, their calling, their identity, and the season of life. And you can treat everyone like that. You can raise a dozen kids in your house and everyone feel that they're your favorite because you know them, you see them, you value them. I have two sons. One likes football, one likes music. If I get it wrong, I don't buy a saxophone for my sport-loving son. He'll use it as a golf club. <laughs> I buy him a football. He knows he's loved. It's his season. It's his identity. He knows I love him. I know him. I see him. He's not as bothered that one costs 25 pounds and the sacks cost 2,000. My kids have never argued. They've never said, why do you spend different amounts of money on us at different times? It's not an issue in our family because we give them what they need in that season because we see them, we know them. It's actually how you raise sons and daughters in the house is you know your people, you know the season of life, their identity, their gifts, their calling, their loves. We raise favorites and that's how we can know that we are his favorites because he sees us he knows us my my friend Steve Witt he had a dream and in the middle of his sickness of a nightingale there's a nightingale in the house it scared him at first he looked it up he thought that's scary a nightingale is a symbol of death then he he was with in a meeting with a prophet he said to the prophet, what's the nightingale mean? He said, the nightingale, it's Florence Nightingale. Healing's in the house. His daughter got a tattoo of a nightingale to, be in, to stand with her dad. I can tell you this, 
That dream cost nothing, but it meant everything to Steve Witt because his heavenly father said, you're my favorite. I got a message for you. And I was, I was telling this lady here earlier on, Steve was healed by basically by good nursing because of his treatment. I had a similar experience. God told me the lion of the tribe of Judah had taken care of my cancer. Lions tear flesh. I had surgery. It's amazing. He treats you according to your gifts, your season, your identity, what you need. That's how he treats his favorites. Fathers foster growth. They demonstrate how to cope. They demonstrate an attitude of thankfulness. They show their children the world. I mentioned that last night. They teach responsibility. They create opportunities. They dream with their children. They serve. They model duty and royalty. They give inheritance and leave a legacy. They restore lost years. They create normal. They establish moral truth. They create culture. They model affection and healthy emotion. And my, does our world need to see that. He needs to see mum and dad who've been married for 40 years still cuddling each other and holding hands and not being afraid of public displays of affection. They cultivate wonder and joy and they show their children how to love their spouses. They're things that fathers do and they also, every one of those reveals the father. And this is our journey that we're privileged to travel. A journey that takes us from a context of a world that is crying out for Malachi 4, 6 to be fulfilled. That we repent and change the way we think and we return back home to the arms of a loving father who says, you're worthy, you're a son, you're trusted, let me celebrate you. And we hear his words as elder brothers and elder sisters. I've always been with you and everything I have is yours. And we grow up and we become mature and we beat the lies and we become the fathers and the mothers who do things, who raise a generation secure in their identity, who know who they are, know why they're alive, know where they're going and know the impact of their lives. And we become what he always intended us to be, the bride of Christ, his bride, his sons and daughters, his family, full of fathers and mothers who are raising the next generation. And I want to invite you to stand and I want to pray for you. And I want to pray over you in this way. Could I have a chair? Could somebody give me a chair? I'm okay, I'm not going to faint, I'm not feeling sick. I would just quickly like a chair because this is what I want you to know. This is the chair that you get to sit in for the rest of your life. The chair of being a son of a daughter. It's the chair that Jesus took. It's recorded in Luke chapter 4. Jesus took the chair, the chair that was reserved for the son. And from that chair he stood and said, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor, to bring sight to the blind, to bind up the brokenhearted, to bring release to prisoners and freedom to captives and declare this is the favorable year of our Lord. From this chair, the chair of the son, reserved for the son. But this is what I want to do. I want to bless you to always know where the chair is. 
The chair of sonship, the chair of knowing who you are, the chair of daughtership, the chair that gives you authority to stand and say, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me. I know who I am. I know why I'm alive. I know where I'm going. I know the impact my life will have. And so I bless you. I bless you. And this may be the only time in a meeting that you've been told at the end to do this. Sit down in your chair and know that that's your chair. You're a son, you're a daughter, you're a mother, you're a father, and you have authority because you know who you are. You're world changers, history makers, sent ones. Hold nothing back. And us Brits, we sometimes struggle with confidence, but know this, knowing who you are gives you the confidence to sit in your chair and to sit in that chair and know who you are, I bless you and I release you with a Father's blessing. I bless you to know this, that you will see the greater works. I bless you to go from glory to glory. I bless you to see the increase of his government because remember, it's on the shoulders of a son and I bless you for greater revelation. Eye has not seen, nor ear heard, nor heart revealed what God has prepared for those that love him, for those that are sons and daughters. Greater works, glory to glory, increase of his government and greater revelation. May it be yours for the honor of the name Jesus. Amen.